Welcome, Red Spotters. I am Alexis Soto, and I will be hosting this episode of To the Table. And I am here sitting with its creator, Mr. Peter Martinez. Uh, And, well, as the show annoyingly dictates, we both (laughs) approach this non-existent table, and we exchange films... Uh, either because we think the other would like it or for no reason at all, even though some of us may not enjoy the films that we get, but who cares, really? So, today, the films that we viewed, I recommended the documentary film Life Itself, which um, is about the life of uh, Roger Ebert, the most famous film critic in the history of film criticism to Peter and he recommended me the recent uh, Shane Black classic uh, hit <laughs> if you want to be like Kyle classic of course a classic 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 maybe just put an <laughs> F-bomb in front of that maybe some crunching too oops <laughs> sorry I don't want to get overboard here uh, but uh, I'll say his latest hit Shane Black's latest hit The Nice Guys starring uh Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. Yes. I was going to say Mark Russell, and I'm like, what the fuck what? is that? <laughs> is that an actor? I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So those were the films. So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess. Uh, I guess we saw them. Yeah. Right. It was whatever. Uh, shall we start with The Nice Guys? Yes. Let's start it. Um, Alright, so The reason why I wanted you to see this Is because uh, I didn't I had given you American Beauty <laughs> and But what, there was an issue because There was issues, we weren't able to get the film to watch it Right, yeah But Nice Guys was there and I was like, well That'd be I a mean, nice backup It was a nice backup um, I personally really like The Nice Guys it's from Shane Black um, of Lethal Weapon, Monster Squad, Iron Man 3, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang fame. Great writer. Mm-hmm. Um, good, great director. I was going to say good, great director. Um, this this was a film I didn't see in theaters. No one saw in theaters. No one no saw one. in theaters, <laughs> which I feel so bad about because it was, it was one of my favorite films of the year. It was just so much fun. Um, I saw it afterwards, and it's like, should have saw it in the theaters. Uh, but I, it, it's just sort of an old-fashioned movie where it's like, it's just all about the um, spending time with fun characters, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I enjoy that. And you don't see many movies like that yeah. nowadays, especially mainstream films. Mm-hmm. So. I figured you would find it pretty entertaining. It's almost like the reverse Dunkirk. Uh, <laughs> when you think about it, because you like... You've been some shade at Dunkirk recently. You know, okay. When I throw shade, like, I'm pretty clear about it. Yeah. But, like, I don't hate the movie. Mm-hmm. I, In fact, I actually quite enjoyed it. 
but like it only seems to be coming up when we're talking about how a film decides to use its characters. In the previous uh, one of our previous shows, we talked about Cloud Atlas, and I was talking with Kyle about how he wasn't very he he did not care for any of the characters at all. Yeah. And I agree that there wasn't that much put into the characters, but I still felt something for more of the characters in Cloud Atlas than I did for anybody in in Dunkirk. And that may have been an issue where they all they're all pretty much the exact same person. To be fair, that's been happening a lot with me with Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's like I throw some shade, but I'm like, I did like it, guys. <laughs> but did you? I, I did. mean, like, I did. It's it's weird because I I think at the end of the day, I ended up liking Wonder Woman more than yeah, you, you did, did. Uh-huh. and yet I think I still give it more shit and don't care to apologize. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't care if I get miscon, like if I get perceived as anti Wonder Woman. In fact, good. At least I have an original thought and opinion, unlike everybody else about the film. Well, now that's shade. <laughs> and, well, yeah, but that's shading the sheep, not the actual <laughs> film itself. So I'm not going to praise somebody who has her ego up her ass. So we're going to go ahead and move. <laughs> I will not tackle that. Um, <laughs> we'll move past that. But yes, you are right. What yeah. I did like about this movie so much was like, um, it was the characters and it was all about them. And like at a certain point you realize, um, first of all, I do like, I did like the plot and I did like the story. Can you explain elements. it? Because <laughs> the first time I saw it, it at a certain point, it's like, wait, why are we following these people? What's this have to do with the porno industry? Like, and then the automobile industry, like, is it- okay. So this t- this <laughs> takes place in the late seventies, right? Yeah. So uh, both Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling are these PIs, mm-hmm. a la Jessica Jones, private investigators of that time. Yeah. And the movie starts off with them both looking for this girl named Amelia, who is somehow connected with this re- recent porn actress that died in a car crash. That's how it starts off with. Then they they clash, they do a dick measuring contest, then they. Through odd circumstances, they they end up being on the same side, and the whole movie is basically finding her. Then halfway through the film, when they find her, then this like out of nowhere thing comes, in which it turns out that the girl is the daughter of the attorney general, in which she is involved in this corruption scandal conspiracy, and the entire time she made. It turns out that they were trying to find her and kill her because this girl did a porn film that wasn't really porn. It was them displaying evidence, displaying the evidence of the corruption, which I don't know why. I think that's funny. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So they're displaying the evidence. And then at that point, this becomes about taking her down and, and, and the bad guys. So it's like. It's really weird. I actually just kind of enjoyed how it just changed. Like, out of nowhere, you have these master assassins come in. It just like, <laughs> rolls out of control. But you roll with it, though, because yeah. you enjoy the characters. Because you're rolling with the characters. Yeah. And they kind of don't have a handle on it either. No. So it's it, just like, you just enjoy them trying to deal with it. And it's like this thing morphed into a different thing as it was going. It's yeah. almost as if you made it up as you went along. Well, the great thing about Shane Black is his uh, subversion of um, movie tropes. Mm-hmm. Like, A la what? Iron Man 3? <laughs> you know what? 
I, I think Iron Man 3 gets more heat than it probably should. I, I, I didn't mean that in a bad way. I okay. meant that as, like, that's what you're talking about, how people expect something, and then he just twists it completely mm-hmm. with a big reveal. I happen to, to be a supporter of that because I ended up liking Ben Kingsley as Trevor Slattery. That was, <laughs> that was funny to me. Yeah. No, like, no, he was a funny character, but we won't get into that. That's the kind of trope you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the best... Well, maybe not the best, but the clearest example of that is um, the regular old trope in films where when someone's breaking into to a home, they wrap up their hand, uh, punch through the window, unlock it, and then go inside, like, you know, P.I. style. Right. And then Ryan Gosling tries that, and he immediately cuts his wrist, and he needs to go to the emergency room. <laughs> like, I just thought that was... <laughs> Hilarious. No, it's like at that point, I was just thinking, is this actually happening? <laughs> and I think that that should have been, they established very early on, mm-hmm. he is horrible at his job. He's not that great, no. Like, I can think of like the number of times where, so he, he's, he's like, he's so bad where like he just said he cuts himself while trying to break into some place. And then when he tries to bribe someone at the bar, he... Well, because before that he he tried to bar, bribe a bartender, and then that didn't work out because he had a shotgun. And then, uh, what was it? There was this this point in the movie where, again, like this was a point where Russell Crowe was about to ditch him because he realized he was just pulling him down. Mm-hmm. And as he he was about to leave, Ryan Gosling pulls out this like this information about how. Russell Crowe is heading to the wrong place to find her, and that actually plot points here, here, and there. He's it made like, it. I used my detective right. skills, and I figured out exactly where that scene be. made it like seem okay. Maybe he's not terrible. And then, like a couple seconds later, they show up, and it turns out no, nope. no, nope, he was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but like little things like that is what Shane Black has been doing like his whole career. Um, just to point this one out real quick, because this is the one that really made me laugh. Um, when they arrive at that hotel, mm-hmm. in like a, in a regular film, right. that's where they have the big shootout. Right. They, they take out a couple henchmen. Yeah. You know, they they find a big clue. They literally they they go up like they're ready to go, um, you know, into this sort of crossfire. <laughs> they immediately someone see someone get die right when the elevator doors open. They just close them and go back down. There's, like, no hesitation <laughs> like, and, like, no reaction. They, no. Ryan Gosling just pushes the button. Like, we're not doing this. <laughs> but, I mean, I this film works because Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe are so amazing. Yes. They are yeah. so much fun. Um, this is probably the best I've seen Ryan Gosling mm, because okay. I do think Ryan Gosling is a great actor. Di- great but dynamic, though. He always he picks is, different roles. He always picks different roles, but I sort of feel like he sometimes falls back into just being stoic. Okay. And not giving much emotion. The one where I would agree with you uh-huh. is in The Big Short. I yeah. thought he was just wasted. He was just basically Ryan Gosling in that movie. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other I can point out. Which one's... He, he did a really good job. Um, but Drive. Okay. And then he kind of did the same thing in Only God Forgives, 
which was made by the same director. Place um, Beyond the Pines. Place Beyond the Pines. You, Did you see the Ides of March? Um, you know. That had uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and George Clooney. Oh, are you talking about when they, uh, what's it called? It has the poster where, like, Cindy's yeah. Week, and then they were... Uh-huh. No, I never saw it. I might have to give you that one. I, that, I actually enjoyed that movie. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So maybe we'll... That's another movie for maybe. a future. <laughs> for future. <clears throat> uh, to the table. But I think this is the most I've seen him, like... The most dynamic I've seen him because mm-hmm. he has really good comedic chops in this. That's true, he's, and he's also, so funny. and he's just so unlike who he is in real life. Yeah, that he's was just kind of, this schmuck, right? <laughs> uh, he's like he's a he, he's a lovable schmuck. A lo- yeah, that's what it is, and it, it really plays off so well. His daughter, yes, great character, great child actress. You want to go ahead and lead off that? Um, like whenever I think about. His daughter. I always think of when he, um, he that that old lady who wants him to find her dead right. granddaughter, mm-hmm. and he knows she's dead. Right. But he's he needs the money, and he feels like a piece of shit, so he right. keeps taking her money. He gets in the car next to his daughter, and he just asks her, "Am I a bad person?" And she's like, "Yeah." Like, <laughs> <laughs> just does not sugarcoat it. No, she's but, like, yeah, she's straight to the mm-hmm. point. She's no bullshit. They have like a really great dynamic. Yeah. And that really, um, and she has a lot of great material to work with. Surprisingly, yeah. I did not think she's going to be a big part of the movie. I she thought they were going to push her to the side. Yeah, when Russell <clears throat> Crowe came in, <clears throat> but she she really stayed a, a, a constant. It yeah. was almost a trio a little yeah. bit, and yeah. I, I thought she really held her own against these two high col- high caliber actors at the height of their game. At the point where I thought they were going to push her is when uh, when uh, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe go to the party, yeah. the, the big Hollywood party uh, at the mansion or whatever and then when you realize um she actually was in the truck or the car the whole time mm-hmm. and at that point you realize oh okay she's not going away mm-hmm. she actually wants to be a part of this which is it, it, it's really uh, it's fun but at the same time there a lot of gruesome things happen here where she's like she shouldn't be anywhere involved considering what happens she is it's sort of like a porno party <laughs> well, yeah there was a scene where she was literally watching porn I think which yeah. like <laughs> with, with the, the actors <laughs> the actresses or something no but like it, it, what I like is that she wasn't just there to have fun she yeah. she actually cared about the case and she wanted to help her dad this is kind of a weird comparison but it reminds me of Inspector Gadget with <laughs> you realize who owns this network right <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen it? No. Okay. No. Well, he he has his uh, like niece Penny that always follows him around and okay. helps him and stuff. So that's kind of what it reminds me of. Oh, okay. Um, but also Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. which in a way he was kind of playing Russell Crowe. Yeah. Like this but, hardened, right. you know, no nothing kind of like no bullshit kind of guy. Right. But he also had like a a, a, a sense of humor. Right. Yeah. And sort of like a, a code. Hmm. Like, um, he's a good guy, but even, like, the, the girl, like, he had helped some young girl who the guy was stalking her or something. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you're short. Like, <laughs> so he's not a, like a, like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm a good Samaritan. It's his job, and he's yeah. good at his job. And he's but good it's at his always job. about the he job. He takes pride in it. Yeah. But there's there's also layers underneath yeah. underneath them. Like, he, he talks about the one time he felt like a hero. 
Yeah. Uh, like he was talking to that with, with Russell Crowe and then Russell Crowe, his connection to his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, that really helps them be more than just sort of like cartoon characters. Yeah. That are just, you know, dealing, getting to silly antics. It, yeah. it really makes them feel like fully fleshed out characters, mm-hmm. which really helps when shit hits the fan. And what's also great about Shane Black is it's not like in in his effort to subvert uh, a lot of tropes he'll just up and kill someone randomly yeah. that you don't expect so there's there is always a sense of danger for these characters yeah and there should when, be yeah there should be uh yeah uh, it's just uh one of the first scenes with Russell Crowe. I mean, the first scene with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling it was is, great. It was, was Russell Crowe beating the shit out of Ryan Gosling, and he calmly just breaks his arm. Yeah, it's like nothing. And then the next scene, they all have it together. Also with with uh, with the daughter, when she realizes he's the guy that beat up her dad, she's like, "So you get paid to beat to beat people up?" And then, and then she's like, um, "So if I I have fifty dollars." If I pay you, can you beat uh, this friend of mine up over there? And he's like legitimately considering it or like humoring he, he, her. He tackled it like a business proposition. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this. Um, and but also on the flip side, you do see in all of these instances. It, it's I'm glad that Ryan Gosling was not like this careless fa- father. He did care for her, and he always yeah. tried his his best to keep her out of harm's way. She just wasn't going to allow herself to be pushed aside. That's what it was. But he did care for her, and she cared for him. Well, they cared for her, but you could tell he didn't really have the whole parenting thing down. Oh, of course not, no. So no. she sort of had to be the adult. Yeah, yeah. For most of her In life. In a way, she's almost his equal. Yeah. That's <laughs> and that's why I think it's such an interesting relationship. Yeah. Because they almost view each other as equals. Yeah. Even, like, the way they talk to each other. Right, right. Um, but it, it adds... To to their d- dynamic really well. Should we talk about uh, the actual story? Uh, like, at what point <laughs> did it? Did, okay, just in general, talk about what you want to talk about. Then go ahead. I love the way it started. Okay. Um, like it starts with like this this kid <laughs> like sneaking in and stealing one of his dad's porno mags. Man, he has like those parents are heavy sleepers. Yeah. I mean, plus you know. <laughs> That's very 70s. Yeah. It's porno mags. And then it it starts off with just a car ramming into the house, and then it's that same... Yeah, uh, it's the same uh, porn actress. I forget the name. But it was a... Uh, it was some famous name. Yeah. But she, she ends up dying, and I'm like, this is a... I think it's a really great way to start it off, because first of all... <laughs> sort of a dark sense of humor yeah <laughs> but also an interesting mystery like yeah okay this is where we started where does this go as it as the s- s- mystery goes on it gets kind of convoluted and pushed more and more kind of to the back yeah as it becomes more and more about ryan gosling and right. Russell, but it Crow. comes back later. It does come back by the end, um, especially when the old lady comes back. Yes, and she tells him that that she saw her daughter after like the day that she died, and they figured out that it was actually in the apartment that she lived in, and she saw her on the TV. Mm-hmm. And what was good about that scene is that when they're, they're putting the, the pieces together about the film that Amelia made, what was kind of dark but really funny too is that while they're saying this, the 
the grandma is just on the side mm-hmm. and she's just she she's just realizing that her granddaughter is dead. Meanwhile, they're they're like solving mysteries and all that shit. And then when it cuts back to her, she's like, "So I've been listening to you guys talk, and basically what I'm gathering is my grand my granddaughter is dead." And then she starts crying, and then Ryan Gosling said something completely just like on the bright side or something, and yeah, like. <laughs> I kind of like films that like are are dark, but mm-hmm. they 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 treat death with a certain sense of humor. <laughs> I think we're kind of similar to that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, some people may feel we're assholes for that. I think it's it's just a refined sense of humor. Well, it's kind of like in what we do in the shadows because when uh, yeah. when Peter died, that was that was hilarious because of how they reacted, but it was also sad for them because they actually that death had meaning for them. But I also thought it was—I think a really good example for that film is when he kills that one girl when he's on the date, Taika Waititi. Oh, oh. And she's like, "I want to travel the world," and he's like, "Oh." And then, like, okay. He, and then blood starts going everywhere. <sighs> <laughs> he put like newspaper stack. Yeah, to me that's hilarious. <laughs> A little dark, but it, it's it's never played serious enough to where it's you you always understand that they're not taking the deaths too serious. Also, I mean, we don't get to choose what we find funny in life. It just kind of happens. Like I know in this year when we're at movie theaters, whenever the Pitch Perfect trailer comes on for Pitch Perfect three, whenever it comes on, there's always this part. <laughs> He's laughing right now. I don't know why. It's the funniest thing in the world. When and it's the stupidest joke in the world. It's not even a joke. It's just it's some- not a joke. It's when um, Fat Amy, Rebel Wilson, Rebel Wilson, jumps out of the boat, and you think she's gonna like land in the water, and she hits another little boat, really hard, and like. That's a joke that literally anyone else I would roll their eyes at, and I completely understand. But I don't know what it is. I just because every other joke in that trailer, I'm like, I, this isn't really funny. It's not for me. It, I, yeah, and but that that one landed. That just one just lands for me. I don't not know why. Are you gonna go see that movie? <sighs> Maybe just for that one joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk out after that moment happens. No, but um, I think by the end of The Nice Guys, mm-hmm. it becomes very apparent that it wasn't yeah. about this sort of investigation because it ends with them just, even though they solve the case, the people, the necessary people that should go to jail don't. No, they don't. They don't. And it just kind of, it's just like, well, you know, we did what we could, uh, but they're like, we're going to start our our team uh, mm-hmm. PI team uh, and uh, nice it, it leaves the door open for you know honestly in a perfect world yeah let's say we're, we're seeing in a perfect world where you could get Oscar caliber actors to do television shows I would watch a nice guy's television show hell yeah I think that would be perfect because at the end of the day like it, it's different investigations mm-hmm. each week and they they kind of don't it, it, at the end of the day it, it really is just more about seeing these fun characters, mm-hmm. really well-written um, 
characters interact week to week and I'll watch how they grow. You know, his relationship with his daughter and their relationship to each other as these PI investigators and partners, even though they can beat the shit out of each other sometimes. I think we're getting closer and closer to those days yeah. because of Netflix. Like this year alone, and not this year, these past two months, the talent grab that they've been securing, they're, they're stockpiling a lot of great talented producers and writers and directors. The two most um, surprising ones for me are one, Martin Scorsese for <sighs> the, 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 the uh, Irishman, Irishman, yeah, which is an incredible get. And the actors in that movie, like you're talking about Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino. This this is this is basically the um, the Martin Scorsese dream team. Right, right. I mean, if you put Leo in there at the last if, minute, if, that'd if be you perfect. Have a Leo cameo somewhere that like you've done it. That, right, you're yeah. There, um, but especially um, Chazelle. Damien Chazelle, Damien yeah. Chazelle, because Coming that's off, not even a movie. Right. It's a television sort right. of miniseries that they're right. doing. And, it, and again, coming off of La La Land, that really skyrocketed him to... Right. But also, he's coming off a of Best Director win at the Academy Awards. Wasn't it like youngest ever Best he, Director he's win? He's the too? youngest ever to win Best Director, and the next thing he's doing is a Netflix TV show. And... that That's something. And Shane Black has just been... Not appreciated at all. No, at the box office. No, he just hasn't been. Net, get get so Netflix. Get well, except him one deal. one exception, but that, I think more people credit at Marvel for that. Iron Man I, three that did make a billion. Oh yeah, it did make a billion. But he, not since the eighties has his films really you know gotten the love that they deserve with you know some of his with his Lethal Weapon series. Um, the next thing he's doing is the Predator, right? Yeah. That, mm -hmm. Oh, I can't wait for that. I hope it turns out good. Because, like, honestly, I he's one of those people that, based on everything I've read and heard, he's been consistent. I have only seen two yeah. of his movies, but that's enough for me to say, yeah, he's, he's a consistent he's, guy. Yeah. Um, and he's a great writer, too. Mm -hmm. he, he just knows how to write um, really interesting characters and really interesting um, scenarios and dialogue between them. Um what do you think? Did you did did you like this? Was it? I loved it. You loved it. Right. I loved it. I mean, the more I talk about it, the more I realized this is a hell of a movie, and this is certainly one I wished I would have seen in theaters. You're so right, and it's so crazy to think that like a lot of people in our position like bitch and moan all day and night about how Hollywood is falling apart. And for for all for all you know, full disclosure, we on this podcast are of the same mind that as especially as this year has. Uh, you know, undergone. It's just getting worse and worse. Not under. I'm saying as the year unfolds. Yeah. Things like the the stories get worse and worse. The situations for them get worse and worse. And we are legitimately saying that there are huge problems that they are not realizing. And while we do agree that more original films the better. The other side of the argument to that is also like with the nice guys is if you guys want original films, then why don't you bother to go see them because at the box office, at the mm -hmm. theaters, the way that they that's the only way they'll make money. If nice guys with the quality that it is had it done really, really well, like, like Baby Driver or what Dunkirk yes. did. Yes. Then at, at this point, it should have had Baby Driver and Dunkirk levels. Exactly. At that at this point, we would have been hearing like. R rumors about a sequel or a confirmation or something about like already under underway. I have heard nothing about following up 
the nice guys at all. It's not going to get a point. And it's sad because yeah. this is such a really great movie. I love it. It's a great, it's a great duo. Yeah. Um, uh, but also to, to, to talk about the, the the final action sequence or or the third act when Matt Bomber comes in here out of nowhere and he starts assassinating people. <laughs> And then that big, like, extravaganza finale yeah. with, like, I love this stuff. I think when uh, she, the daughter, uh, tries to surprise uh, the officer who's a, a traitor, a corrupt cop, is about to shoot Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling as they're about to retrieve the film. I love when she walks in and she thinks she has hot coffee to throw at her and it ends up just being cold coffee. Oh, yeah. She's like, what? And, like, and then, like, the person is annoyed. Like, what were you thinking of doing? And she, she, she's so stunned and disappointed. Another joke with that, too, was I think Ryan Gosling was like, stop. You're not a killer. This isn't you. And he's, and then I, I either, it was either her or Russell Crowe was like, she's killed, like, two other people. She's like, oh, yeah, she is a killer. Like, I just... <laughs> Just like little stupid things like that. Because he's so attracted to her. Yeah. That's what it is. And then to follow that up, he his last ditch effort is to reach for Russell Crowe's like knife on his like that's an, his ankle knife. But then he realizes he, he that was a dream or something. It wasn't actually there. The knife on his ankle, and he just looks so freaking ridiculous. This this was such a well written film. And then she just slips on the coffee and knocks herself <laughs> <You> out. <know? laughs> It's so so ridiculous, uh, but you, I love like ridiculous humor. Yeah, me too. But to do it right, you have to be a, a really good writer. The timing and the timing has to be right so on point. You need to have yeah. really talented actors that understand mm-hmm. comedy and understand, you know, when to hit their mark and how to hit right. it and how to say it. Um, overall, it's just such a well-made film. Just, oh, God. just a fun time. Yeah. Um, your final thoughts? I loved it. I, I I feel bad that it didn't make more. I I hope more people go out and see this because I think uh, Check it out. I think this is right alongside Baby Driver and Dunkirk as some of the best original works we've seen certainly in the pa- in this des- in this decade mm-hmm. uh, for sure. It's a it's a really great movie and uh, yeah, I loved it. All right, um, <clears throat> you had me watch Life Itself mm-hmm. based upon the book and life. Of Mr. Roger Ebert. Mm-hmm. Why did you want me to see this film? I wanted you to see this because uh, of a couple things. Um, I I like to um, give a variety of different things. I almost feel like I have the most pressure on me to give you guys a variety of films, considering how I've been painted as this one-dimensional uh, <laughs> taste in film. Uh, but I, I'm hope. I hope I'm surprising you guys with the movies I've been able to pull out of my ass that you haven't seen. <laughs> um, but just to be clear, like I am a fan of documentary films. Mm-hmm. I love the genre of films, oh, and like they're, they're amazing. It, it almost doesn't really matter what it is on. A good documentary is a good documentary. Mm-hmm. It really is. And what drew me to this, I think I saw it about a year ago. Um, I really had been. Wa- I, I've heard about it for quite a while. I think it's been out for two or three years. But I really wanted to know a lot about Roger Ebert and what that whole craze and everything and how he became to be this big icon, this legendary icon for the world of film criticism. 
And it is about that, but it's really about his whole life, mm-hmm. the whole span of his life, where how he came up in like um, in the newspaper business. Uh, I think he was running for the Chicago Sun Times mm-hmm. for most of his life, and how he was pretty much all his life. Pretty yeah, all of it, like his personality, his accomplishments. Um, yeah, the, the bridges he'd burn, the new friends he'd make. He he was a uh, not the guy I was expecting him to be, mm-hmm. but I ended up like loving him even more for it. And I mean, the thing about Roger Ebert, if you're not aware, he did have, as most people, unfortunately, a tragic end to the life. Like he he was just like fading away, uh, physically anyway, at the end of his life when he had uh, that uh, debilitating uh, condition. He had, uh- Cancer, I think. I think it was that. Um, yeah. That that kept reappearing in mm-hmm. his jaw. Yeah. And eventually, oh, yeah. the jaw they had just... to remove the bottom part of his jaw. Yeah. And put a sort of a prosthetic. Mm-hmm. And um. Uh, so starting off when when I first saw this film, I thought it was interesting that they were covering so much. Yeah. Of of his um. Is the the end of his life right? There was it, it was it, it was so much about his life in general from beginning to end. But most of this was being filmed in the final months of his life, the mm-hmm. final years of his life, and he was fully aware. Like he had he had agreed to do this to have somebody come into the house and film him. He wanted them. Right. He, he said, "If yeah. we're doing this, you're going to show this side." Mm-hmm. Um, which is I I think it's an amazing thing. Yeah, you know, it's it, you don't really see that happened a lot because i understand i was like oh like why why are they do why are they showing this of him and then later on you realize it's, it's something he wanted he wanted people to see every layer of him yeah. you know to, yeah. to, to see what he went through but also his, his just his massive spirit for continuing on and, and it was so visible and and the the last few weeks and days of his life um i i loved this documentary I yeah it was i thought it was great um it, like you i didn't know much about roger ebert's life i knew what our, he was known for cisco cisco and ebert yeah. you know the whole film reviews um but it, it's just fascinating it's it's always fascinating to understand um, a human being, the human being behind, you know, sort of what is the caricature that you have in your head mm-hmm. from just sort of um, absorbing him through pop culture. Yeah, to really get behind that and understand who he is and what he went through and what shaped him, you know, what ideas and thoughts you had about him that might have been true and might have might have been completely off base. Yeah. Um, one of the things you see is uh, his struggle with alcohol. Yeah. You didn't know about. Nope. And it was a big struggle. Huge struggle. Huge struggle. His um, his sort of just fiery relationship with Mr. Siskel. <laughs> <laughs> That's putting it mildly. To, to put it mildly, yes. Because I never understood that there was this sort of... Um, Rivalry, upper class, lower class oh, rivalry yeah. between uh-huh. the the Ch- Chicago Sun Times and I think it was the Chicago Tribune, right? Yeah, where Cisco was. So when they asked them to be a part of it, it was like 
that's that's kind of my enemy. Culture shock. Yeah, culture shock kind of thing. This is uh, Roger Ebert was a small town kid, you know, loved writing. He he, he got a job at a young age, the Chicago, Chicago um, Sun Times, mm-hmm. and then they just sort of gave him. It's not like he 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 wanted to be. A, a writer for movies mm-hmm. or to review them it's like right. that's what they gave him yeah. and he just happened to excel at that mm-hmm. and he moved up because of that he got the Pulitzer Prize and then he's someone who had like a very um, supportive loving family always there Siskel came he was an orphan mm-hmm. uh, and he was sort of that more higher class society yeah. kind of guy so, Fraser Crane uh, associate. Thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. So to see the sort of behind the scenes clashing that you never really got to see was sort of incredible. Kind of like Fraser Crane meets Bernie Sanders in a way. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Because like Roger did have a lot yeah. of fire in him in his entire life. And mm-hmm. one of the things you realize uh, from the beginning, he's always been so rebellious at everything, like anti yeah. as many things he can he, possibly be. He wants his way. Yeah. He, and he's always been that way right and that's something that really clashed with Cisco, mm-hmm. who it's kind of the same way too yeah but in, in sort of a slightly different way and this this love-hate relationship that they slowly grew to have over mm-hmm. time like it's interesting seeing their early videos and works together and they look so uncomfortable because they hate each other <laughs> Not like, only they hate each other, they, they just have no relationship. They have no relationship, no charisma, nothing. No, nothing. They're just sort of, uh, oh, we saw the movie, uh, I, I thought I liked it. Mm-hmm. Whoa, I, whoa I, I, I kind of disagree. Like, no, nothing there. And then they would literally fight. Like, when you see it in every other take, like, each one would lay on an extra insult based on the previous like, insult. Like, a, like children. Right. Like the, the biggest children in the world. <laughs> they would just lay into each other. Um, but you go from those early um, movie reviews with them to to the later movie reviews right. where they have such charisma. They, mm-hmm. they have you, you can just see the relationship they've built over these years, but they're laying into each other. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, re- they're really letting each other, each other have it. And they both had very... This is what I also find interesting too. They both had very controversial opinions on films. Right. There's so many films that Roger Ebert did not like that are considered classics. Mm-hmm. That are considered great films. Like, like if we were to run down a list, we'd be like, wow, he didn't like that movie? Like, he didn't like that? Also the same for Cisco. I'd the say. same for Cisco too. Yeah. And just the way that they would just clash with each other and, and their, their ideas of that. Like, I think they showed one of them didn't like... Oh, Roger Ebert really liked Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. but Siskel yeah, he thought didn't. it was bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Full Metal Jacket. Uh-huh. Uh, Roger Roger Ebert thought Full Metal Jacket was bullshit, but Siskel really liked it. Right, yeah. <laughs> when both are like considered these, these, yeah. these uh, some of the best films ever made, and you see they're just crazy different opinion. And by the way, just to, to, to appreciate the moment of that, like what you're describing are like these moments in history, because mm-hmm. like Siskel and Ebert was this popular show on television. Those were the origins of mainstream media, commercialized film criticism. Those were the origins of what you and I are doing now. What everyone's doing on the interwebs, yeah, that's how it all started. That's where that's two. where it began. Yeah. that's what popularized popularized it. And it's funny. 
I should have, like, it's one of those things where it's kind of no shit. Yeah. But it's, you just never take a second to think about it. They started the whole two thumbs up thing. Yeah. That was them. Mm -hmm. Like, every time they're like, oh, every movie poster ever that had the two thumbs thumbs up. up, Two thumbs up. Um, That was them. That was the Rotten Tomatoes. That was the Rotten Tomatoes back then. It's like 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Back then, it was like, if you got their approval, Mm -hmm. you wanted to slap that everywhere. That was the the seal of approval. Yeah. Um, But what I loved is that people enjoyed listening to them. And hearing and reading what they had to say, right. not necessarily because they might have agreed with them, mm-hmm. but because of their dynamic personalities right. and amazing ways of uh, putting Interpreting out their Interpreting films, putting out their opinions. They're both the dynamic writing. individually, but mm-hmm. when they come together, watch out. That's a different special kind of like review critique thing it's like when you're even these days you and i have our people that we go and look on the internet for mm-hmm. to see what oh, yeah. their take on things are not okay. not because we agree, agree but because we they're always interesting to see what they think you wanted to there's a lot of times where, where me and you like we'll, we'll watch someone's review and we're like can you believe how full of shit they are right <laughs> i feel like it's almost every day yeah <laughs> but then we'll go and see their review again right it's like, it's like <laughs> without fail yeah um it's it's also I loved just having a peering into a lot of the um, the actors he not actors directors he touched. Mm. They, they really only touched on two because it's it's Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, he was a big part of this one. Um, you can, the the way I I'd never seen Martin Scorsese get emotional before. Yeah, he was really it was yeah. But the way he said like I was almost done with making movies with making movies yeah. one of the greatest directors of all time yeah felt like he wasn't good enough to make movies that should tell you something out there if you want to be a director <laughs> you should just just go for it Colin you know? Trevorrow <laughs> why do you do this why do you do this I rescind that that was a dick thing to do that was, I, we, that was unnecessary we're, we're both the assholes that like right. that, that like Jurassic World so. yeah we, um, I, I like it a lot yeah me yeah. too um but the way he said, like the the way Siskel and and Ebert, they they wanted to give him an award, and the way that he he brought them on when he was very young in his career, mm-hmm. gave him an award. They're like, we believe in this guy. Like, he, yeah. we see something there that it, it's really gonna blow up. And he's like, that that really gave me the power to push forward and really create this amazing career that he has but then i also love that uh roger ebert was someone who and this has got to be incredibly difficult because he's friends with all these directors he meets them with these actors Mm -hmm. he doesn't pull any punches in his opinion and you have that that's that's a deep level of respect i have for that because i believe martin also said that yeah like he like he also respected him very deeply because he was his friend, and yet when I when I made a bad movie, he would never let me forget it. They showed like <laughs> he made a bad movie, right. and Roger Ebert just tore into him. Right, right. <laughs> and and Mars Gracie was like, "Well, uh, come on, guy, you know." <laughs> but that that's that's a real film critic, right mm-hmm. there. Um, and what I also love and respect is the way that they would get these smaller films that almost no one would probably watch or get any sort of attention attention 
and they find them and they they watch them and they love them and they really push them forward. They mm-hmm. push these great actors forward. Um, what's her name? Ava. Ava Duvernay. Duvernay. Oh yeah, she was. Uh, she. She was. She was. Uh, th- th- there was this a part of the film where uh, you know she she's one of the people who who's brought in as commentators because she had a personal connection mm-hmm. with Roger Ebert about uh, the story when she was a little girl and I think she met him and th- what was to that again what, what were they um, she she had an uh, an aunt that, that mm-hmm. really was a big cinephile that loved movies right right and her aunt had taken her to um, I can't remember what it was but some movie either awards or festival and that's where she met Roger Ebert at, right as a really young girl and she took a picture you know doing the thumbs up right and then I, when she became an adult and she tried to break it into filmmaking, she she made a film, which I've never seen and I and I really want to see now, uh, about this sort of this woman going through the house after losing her aunt and sort of the memories and you know dealing oh, really? with loss, and it was a very small time film, right? And she had sent uh, him I think a letter like oh to check it out or something, and he gave it like. This 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 beautiful four star review, hmm. and then he he wrote about you know how his aunt was a big influence on him, and about you know her as well, and I think it was something like a tale of two aunts, right? Talking about there that. was the, and, and and Ava took a, a unique approach where she was like saying like out of no, nowhere there was this unique connection that they both had, considering like, it, it, and she was she was a. Uh, talking about race and uh, culture politics and how it all kind of collided because like back in those times especially like uh, from Ava's perspective it it would be out of the norm for somebody of Roger's stature in society to be on the same side politically and economically with Ava because Roger was very pro like very I would say progressive one of the early progressives uh, I think he said he got his um uh liberal labor movement right um politics from his dad mm-hmm. and it said it in the um in the documentary yeah. he's like if i got anything from my dad that's what i got from my dad yeah that's that, that, probably that like um jfk era right yeah. and i think he also uh i don't know when exactly he got married but he did uh marry he was 50 when he got married he was 50 but yeah. he married uh i forget her name but she's so sweet but it was interracial marriage mm-hmm. and that I mean, I think was it a, when 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 was this exactly? Was it the mid nineties or was it like the eighties? When he got married? Yeah. Oh, like man. at what point in time? Because if this was like around, if this was like pre two thousands. Like I think it, the nineteen nineties. Because at that point, interracial me. marriage was just barely on the blip on the radar. Nineteen ninety? No. Well, when when, when, when was it legalized? The sixties or the seventies? I think it was the seventies. Interracial marriage? Yeah. Legalized? You remember interracial marriage was not allowed. Yeah, I know. For a but long time, I don't. I don't I, think it was like one sweeping thing. I think it was like in some areas. It right. Was Either way, though, in the, it is something like again that connects uh, Ava and and Roger very mm-hmm. closely that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah, and and that was a beautiful thing. Just watching him with his family, mm-hmm. which he wasn't really related. To. By blood to any of them, but he had step um, children mm-hmm. and step grandchildren. Right. That he really just came in, and they they were his family. Right. There was nothing. They were his children. They were his children, his right. grandchildren, 
and and you you see some of the grandchildren like I remember growing up with Grandpa, mm-hmm. Grandpa Roger. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, taking walks with him, watching movies with him, mm-hmm. and all all around he just seemed like a guy full of spirit and yeah. life who he was a good guy mm-hmm. really and just wanted to support film and and people um but someone who wasn't without his demons yeah and who wasn't without his ego especially <laughs> that, that was right. very uh, apparent yeah I mean, one of the the moments where I think uh, you you begin to realize that things are not always what they appear to be on the surface, and and the movie dedicates a big part to the whole Siskel and Ebert uh, collaboration, but um, <clears throat> especially when it gets to uh, when it starts to turn toward the end of days of of the program because of. Uh, what happened with Gene Siskel, where he was diagnosed with, I believe it was, a, he had a brain tumor or something, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he began pulling away. Um, but Siskel never told Roger mm-hmm. at all about his condition. Like I guess he didn't want him to know. And when he died, you saw how how devastating that was. I mean, he was he was hurt that he wasn't told, but he was also on a more fundamental level just sad that he's gone. Cause like you think for years and years and years, you have this guy next to your side, and you're you're like, you're like throwing punches at each other. You've had the most ridiculous of fights with, and yet at the same time, the entire time almost even, uh, you couldn't bear to to not have him in your life. So you you begin to understand that that relationship meant the world to him. It really did. And it ended on a on a way that I was very somber and, and bittersweet. And you could tell it affected him yeah. for the rest of his life. Yeah. Because cause his whole issue was I don't wanna hide my my I don't wanna do what Siskel did. Yeah. I don't want to hide my illness from everyone because he probably he probably walked away a bit bitter and angry at him. Yeah. Like to, to like, how, why would you hide this from me? You know, why why wouldn't you let me in and know about this? And it, and I think that pain sort of caused him to be like, I don't want to do this tent when it's my time. I want I want it to be open to everyone. I don't want to hide away. Yeah. So and he doesn't. They, Which they is show, so Roger too. They show some pretty gruesome stuff that he that he has to go through. It's uh, it, it's unpleasant to watch. It, it really is, and what's amazing is his spirit during this whole thing as well. Yeah, the the way he just pushes and, and fights and always has a smile on his face, and at the end it's like I'm not angry. I had an awesome life. You know, this is this is just what happens, and you like his. He goes out saying his his call sign. I'll see you at the movies, you know. Um, but just also the strength of his wife, the, the yeah. way you know you could tell how deeply she cares about him, and the way the the entire through the entire fiasco, he might be strong, but for her it's hard for her to be strong. But yeah. she's really the one just keeping him alive and keeping him going. I love how she's not ignoring like she's also a big part of this too. Like yeah. her role in dealing with all of this is the most important role out of all of them. Like she 
just imagine I mean she's not she is not the one who's sick she's not the one who's getting operated on but at the same time she's just like uh, dedicating all her life to to keeping him alive and then at the end when when it's just I, I, I it's been a while since I've seen it but remind me how exactly it ends like he he says that's it I'm done I don't want this anymore and then she's like no how, how how did it end for him exactly? What happened is he, he had sort of said like, um, I I I'm I'm I don't I'm ready to go. I, I feel it like I'm I, done. I, yeah, when she was gone, I think she had stepped out. Mm-hmm. He, he had signed a do not resuscitate. Um, oh yeah. She wasn't there, and then I guess at one point when she when he, he was there, he started having I don't know what it was cardiac arrest or a seizure or something yeah and they said like we can't do anything you know he signed this um he signed a do not resuscitate legally we can't touch him so you know and she's like that that's that's, that's Roger and she's like I I could have yelled and screamed and hell grabbed the defibrillators and done it myself but I just said okay. Like she put on his music, just just so he to can get go out with him. Calm. Yeah, that that's a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. That's like something you. I'm not even sure you could write for a movie. That that just seemed to coalesce all within itself. That she, like, you could very easily see any one of us just being so angry and hurt that this was made behind your back. But at the same time. The show has got to got to end at some point, and, and you don't have time to think. You just gotta like okay, okay. If this is what you want. This mm-hmm. is what you want. I can't be the one to make that decision for you. You already made it with or without my cons- consultation. This is what you want. You're gonna get it. it it's it's some powerful stuff. I, I it's a it's a really I think a really well made documentary. Mm-hmm. I almost felt like maybe because it was I just thought it was really good, but I almost felt it was a little short. Maybe yeah, I'd say it's it's, it's fairly two hours. Yeah, it's fairly long. You could have added another half an hour because mm-hmm. you you jump, you 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 don't get too much into his early life. Yeah, you just, get just the, a little bit. Yeah, most of it is the Roger Ebert and Cisco Ebert stuff, mm-hmm. and then interwoven is the present day and the past. Right, right. Um, but I think you could have added another extra half hour. Uh, maybe discuss some of his younger years and his younger writing, mm. um, his relationship to his wife and how he met her, um, s- some 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 deeper relationships with other writers directors. Um, I think you could have done more, mm-hmm. but at the same time, what they had like it, I, I don't envy. The, the, the people or the director of this because it's like wow like how do you choose how to portray a man's life while he's what, dying what stays in and what stays right. out you know and, and and how how is it like for you to have your head at that moment but what does it do, what does it do to a person who who has to make this film but part of this film is filming the the subject the man while he's dying and being there it's like that's deeply affecting that's okay. just, it's difficult, but I really think that he, um, the director, I don't know who the director's name is, and he said it was like a CNN film. I mean, we'll look it up right now. Okay. But 
I thought he did a great job. I thought it was wonderfully made, a, a beautiful love letter to the life of Roger Ebert. Um, oh, and another part that I found really interesting, I didn't know he did this, but I guess it's some convention or whatever. Mm-hmm. He, every year he would take a movie and for about five hours just completely deconstruct it. Oh, yeah. Like frame He would have his frame. own panel. <laughs> yeah, just a whole panel of just deconstructing a film. And, uh, wow, like what I could have given to, to be at one of those right, things. Right, right. That just sounds so fascinating to me. Just, he he obviously had a gift for... Uh, he, for that kind of stuff. I mean, and also what I love about this, aside from all the other important things about his life, it really does a great job of portraying how deeply he loved film. Mm-hmm. Aside from his contributions to progressing film and film criticism, you just know it with how the guy wrote and how he talked and watching those clips. He loved this. Almost every single part of this. He absolutely adored and loved. By the way, this also was... Um, he had a narrator. Uh, it wasn't Roger that did the voice. Really? It was someone who who did, I guess, the voice impersonation. Right, that's uh, what I thought. Because it couldn't have been Rod. He couldn't speak. Yeah. Uh, by that time, this this uh, this uh, was premiered at the uh, Sundance Film Festival, the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, it was directed by Steve James. Okay. Yeah, uh, it was based <laughs> on the memoir, uh, Life Itself, by Roger Ebert. Uh and the production company, yes, yeah, CNN Films. CNN Film, Film Rights, uh, Cart McQuinn Films, distributed by Magnolia Pictures, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I don't... Let me see here. Yeah. Let's see. It, it was also very important. I know it, it wasn't... It was not the... Uh, it wasn't Roger Ebert that voiced it, but I'm sure it was someone that they had, and it was very good. Yeah, it, did it was a good job. Very, very good. good job. But it was also very important that you got to hear his voice. Maybe it wasn't actually him, but it was still in his voice. Mm-hmm. And that really helped make this so much more personal than, than if it was somebody else just narrating this. That it was a brilliant choice to do that. And, and I, I, documentaries, at the end of the day, are more... They, they aren't just throwing facts up on screen and, you know, old pictures and video and stuff like that. You're telling a narrative. You're telling a story. Um, and the way they really just captured his life at the same time capturing his death. Yeah. I, I thought was just very well done. And, you know, overall... A really, really beautiful love letter to the life of this uh, amazing character, Roger Ebert. Wait a minute. What's up? No. What? What's going down? This is just so incredible. What? Uh, it's really hard to believe. I- I'm I'm in shock, everybody. Just reading this and oh, I God, finding out what who who was the voice. Who was the voice for uh, behind uh, uh, Roger Ebert? Um, 
Stephen Stanton. Stephen Stanton of uh, Star Wars fame. Stephen Stanton, who did the voices of uh, of Grand Moff Tarkin in the Clone Wars and Rebels series. He voiced the Allegheny's Obi Wan. He voiced uh, Admiral Radis in Rogue One. He's done so many voices and voice work for um, for for Lucasfilm Animation and for Lucasfilm itself. Uh, most notably, he, like, he he did the Allegheny's uh, version of Obi Wan on the show, which was very very good. Stephen Stanton, it says. Oh, uh, so they just straight up got a, a, voice, a voice actor. actor. Well, and, yeah, that that's and good. a damn good one at that. Mm-hmm. Damn, and he really it, he was it was like Stephen Stanton is really like more and more like being one of the most one of the more noticed voice actors of our time because he he really like it, it's almost like day and night uh not day and night but it's almost identical to what the actual person was like for i mean i was i was wondering i'm sure as you were uh throughout the film who who was voicing this like cuz I, uh, I for for a second i had thought maybe this was like from the audiobook of the from the audiobook mm-hmm. but i wasn't sure when the book came out if it was before or after he had lost his voice yeah um because they had taken excerpts from the book mhm i think they did yeah so but then maybe after they a mixed while, and matched who knows no nah, i think they just got a voice actor but he, he sounded just like him i i think i think it worked really well yeah o- overall to wrap it up, um, in- incredibly well-made uh, documentary. No, wait, I, I, I just have to interrupt you. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> like it says here, like, the highly respected voice actor artist Stephen Stanton, the voice of Roger Ebert in life itself. Just to confirm that, which mm. is just mind-blowing. I'm sorry. I'm just... You're really loving this. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, continue. Uh, I liked it. Why can't we get past that? It's like, we will dude, never like, get past do this. Do we want to trademark that? Like, we didn't even come up with it. TM. Just buy it right from under Alexis Murrah. <laughs> no, like I've said this past few times, beautiful love letter to the life of um, Roger Ebert. And some good insight into things I had not previously known. Mm-hmm. And it, one of the best documentaries I've seen ever. It, it, it was so well made. So I, well done. I think it was really well done. I loved it. Well, I guess that's well, it. Yes. All right, then. Uh, well, I'm very glad, Peter, that you uh, once again enjoyed a film I recommended for you. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know, at some point... Uh, we're going to have to do an actual score of who's enjoying the most films that the other person has given them. Let, let me let me do let me tell you this right here. <laughs> oh god. This show is not about who can get the most liked films out of the other. Oh, okay. That's not what it's about because <laughs> I, me, and you speak as the creator of this program. Sh- sure, yeah. <laughs> the whole point is to get us to open up to different kinds of film mm-hmm. that we um, probably wouldn't have right. on our own. Mm-hmm. So far, I have tried mm-hmm. to get films that I think 
you and Kyle would appreciate. Right. But pretty soon, I'm going to start throwing out some films where, yeah, you guys might not like it, but I think it's good to open you up to this Mm -hmm. sort of film. And there might be some films where I'm like, this is a complete piece of shit. Someone watch this with me. <laughs> well, maybe the, might, yeah. the Inhumans uh, audio commentary coming to Red Spotlight <laughs> Entertainment. Red Spotlight. Completely original thought by Kyle Lara. Uh, he <laughs> promised this to us. So he, Yeah, I think he said um, if we do anything right. on this show <laughs> to make sure that it's the audio commentary. Of For the first two episodes of The Inhumans. Yes. He... he don't worry, he is 100% promising to this to you guys. He 100% cannot go back on it. It was a blood oath, it's done. I guess we'll just have, we'll just have to watch him try. Yeah. Can't go back. You were saying? Um, so yeah, it, it's it's not... This thing isn't about... Because I, I, I know <laughs> you have an issue with seeing film, being forced to see films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been trying to give you films that you'd probably like, but I might try and ease in one where it's like, well, it'd be I, iffy I'll you. say with all fairness to everybody, mm-hmm. all the films that I've been given, whether I've been yours or Kyle's, I've enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And so far, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, I really loved Pan's Labyrinth and the Nice Guys the best. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed what we do in the shadows. I enjoyed Face Off. Um... Watch out for that one. It'll be a doozy. Yeah. Uh, for what it was, anyway. I enjoyed... Uh, God, what was the other one? It was... Uh, I, I loved Big Fish. So, yeah, you see, like... Th- th- these are movies I wouldn't nor- ordinarily go out of my way to see. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to say, for the most part, I've been thoroughly enjoyed, and some exceptions even love the films that I've been given. So... Um, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm enjoying myself thoroughly. I am as well. That's so great to hear. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this edition of uh, or this episode of To the Table. Also, keep in mind that every, we will have episodes of To the Table every Wednesday and every Friday, unless otherwise notified. Also, on Saturdays, we occasionally those are the days for audio commentaries. We the most recent audio commentary we have is of Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, uh, slash Peter Martinez's favorite audio commentary of the decade. Definitely check it out. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. <laughs> if, you, if you love hearing people munch on food, this is the audio commentary for you. <laughs> And also, again, as a reminder, we have our main uh, Red Spotcast every Sunday on Spotcast Sundays. We got a good uh, one coming up. We have a very good one coming up uh, with, uh, I think it's number 64, uh, which we're going to be talking about the big news once again with Star Wars and Colin Trevorrow, the box office, movie pass, uh, Justice League, the, all the... And I think we're obligated at this point to shit on Inhumans every chance we get. You know what? I agree with you 100%. We have to react every week to the Inhumans, yes. even if it takes two or three minutes. E- even if it's like like a year or two down the road, right. or just like it, it, we're completely over 
the show. We just right. If even for it's for a minute or two, we need to throw it in there and how terrible that show. Is. Because it's not like any of us is is reveling in the joy of being right about this show. No, I no. mean, you'd have to be a real asshole to be like that. We're obviously not like that. <laughs> yep, that I I honestly couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and make sure to stay tuned for future episodes of To the Table and keep it here on Red Spala Entertainment. Also, if you enjoyed the show, if you had uh, any thoughts, if you agreed or disagreed with anything Peter and I had to say, by all means, you're more than welcome to leave a comment. Uh, to subscribe, obviously, for more shows and podcasts. And hey, if you actually have something you want us to, to discuss or talk about, by all means, let us know on all of our social media at Spotlight, on Twitter, on Instagram. Well, not on Twitter. You can call, follow Kyle. On Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, YouTube, but mostly uh, we, you'll find us at podcast.com and iTunes if you are here. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Peter, for being here. Always a pleasure talking to you. And isn't it so much better that we're doing this in the dead of night than in the horrible disgusting vomit inducing that is the morning hours so by the way that's shade (laughs) i am alexis soto it has been a great privilege and distinction to host this show once again and make sure you keep watching this bye-bye bye-bye